0: Delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town.
1: In part two of our discussion about the history of Kentucky football coaches, Oscar and I pick up right where we left off. Coach Fran Kersey was able to revitalize the Kentucky football program in 1976 and 1977. Oscar talks about the success of those years. If you would like to hear more about the 1976 Peach Bowl team, check out Oscar's conversation with Joe Bryant at oscarcombs.com. We will further our discussion about a coach who was a native son of Kentucky, played for Bear Bryant and somewhat followed the bear leaving Maryland to come to Kentucky. That was Jerry Claiborne. How did Bill Curry end up at Kentucky? You're going to find out. And I'll share a couple of stories about the Hal Mummy era and the Guy Morris era. I'm Bo Robinson, and we call this a podcast, a history of Kentucky football coaches, part two. Let's go back to 1973 as Fran Kersey was the head coach of the Wildcats going into a brand new Commonwealth Stadium.
0: For for Kersey, it was the perfect thing because he's going into a brand new stadium, mm-hmm. uh, the nicest in the country at the time. Everything was on the up and up at that time.
1: That's 1973, and Kersey's first year, he went five and
0: six? That is correct. I mean, I think the most wins that uh, John Ray had was three up until then. So he comes in, second game, I remember it like it was yesterday because I was in awe of Bear Bryant at that time. The second game, they're playing University of Alabama at home, brand-new stadium over on Nicholasville Road. I remember – Bryant standing underneath the goalposts in warm-ups with his hound tooth hat on. on, I think he had on a blue jacket, and he had his rolled-up program. And I thought, man, this is what it's all about. And this was his first trip home to Lexington Mm -hmm. since he had left U.K. So he comes out there in the first half. Kentucky just takes it like he wouldn't be 14 to nothing at the half. And everybody's like, wow. And then the opening of the second half, and a guy by the name of Willie Shelby. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Willie Shelby. Yeah, Willie Shelby catches the opening kickoff on the goal line, 14 to 7, and then it just sort of started gradually evaporating. And the key thing, I think, uh, when they were up 21 to 14, when they went up 21 to 14, they kicked off. And Bear Bryant, the brilliant tactician that he is, he had his kicker. To pooch, the kickoff, straight up in the air. Once it goes 10 yards, it's a free ball. The Kentucky players went brain dead. They didn't fair catch it. They went down and caught it and took it over and then boom, boom, boom.
1: Towards the end of the Fran Cursey era, uh, there was a few problems that came about.
0: Well, let's go back a little bit earlier. He went five and six the first year. And he came back the next year and uh, had another good year. I think it was either five and six or six and five. The third year, 75 was a year things were supposed to really be hopping. They had a kid here by the name of Alfred Sonny Collins. Yep. He had a gnome that would put yours in second place. <laughs> <laughs> but he always wore a wig out in public. Uh-huh. But great, great personality. Maybe the best back in the history of Kentucky football. And they really were expecting, you know, to win seven, eight, nine games. And then things happened that year. There were a lot of rumors out there. There were rumors of point shaving. There was a, uh, a player that was killed and found in the bottom of the Ohio River. And one of the guys that was being tried uh, used this, Sonny Collins' alibi as to who he was with the night this supposedly happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, – first thing you know they have a they have a lead late in the game against Auburn and they have three or four plays that just absolutely just destroys the whole game and they lose and from that point it goes down and that also brought on the NCAA investigation which comes back and takes its teeth in, in 76 so in the fall of 76, they get the notification from the NCAA, you're going to be on probation and you're going to be banned from a postseason bowl one year. So it should have been 1976. But at that time, you had like 90 days from your no- inquiry that you could appeal it. And so can, Fran Kersey looked at it, and he was saying, bird of hands were two in the bush. So he decided to play up to the 90 days. And at the end of the 90 days, if Kentucky had a good enough record, it looked like they would make the bowl, Mm -hmm. then they would appeal it, which meant the bowl ban would be the next year. Well, when it got up to that date, sure enough, you know, they were right there on it. Now, they weren't, they hadn't yet made the bowl, but I I think they were six and four at the time. And it was going to come down to the Tennessee game. And, of course, that was a game where both teams were 6-4 in Knoxville. Best defensive game I've ever seen Kentucky play. Uh, the Peach Bowl, which was probably the fifth or sixth best bowl at that time, had already announced early in the week they were going to be in Knoxville. They would extend an invitation to the winner of that game. And that game was 7 to nothing. Greg Woods caught a pass from Derek Ramsey to win the game. Uh, But the last quarter was playing defense. I mean, Kentucky had them backed up in their end zone the whole third and fourth quarter. Kentucky won the game. They gave the invitation to Kentucky. Mm -hmm. At the very same moment on the other side of the field, the uh, uh, athletic department spokesman was passing out a one-page release saying that Bill Battle had been fired. Kentucky fans that day felt like they'd really achieved something more than just going to a bowl. They got the Tennessee (laughs) coach fired. (laughs) Why does it always come down to Tennessee? Well, you know, for so many years, yet the rivalry is not there today that it was up through. I'd say the rivalry started dying in the 80s as that streak started building up. But anyway, having said that, they went to the bowl that year, had a great bowl victory, 21 to nothing. Rod Stewart, three touchdowns. He was going to be a brilliant player at Kentucky, but that's another story. He got hurt to next year, and his career was cut short. But they had 37,000 fans in Atlanta-Forton County, County Stadium for that Peach Bowl. And so everything was bright for the next year. Now, the good news was they had to bowl and enjoy it. The bad news was they had no idea they were going to go 10-1 the next year. Yeah. And at the end of 10-1, you couldn't go to a bowl. Now, in 77, in, in uh, they opened with North Carolina, the team they'd beaten in and, and the Peach Bowl, and had really struck on ended up beating them in the Lights Manning. Went to Waco, Texas, and got the name of Michael Singletary played for the Bears for many years in the pros, just annihilated Kentucky. And I remember flying home. I drove from uh, Waco up to Dallas and caught a Delta flight over. I said, you know what? This team's not going to win another game this year. They're terrible. They never lost another game, 10 in a row. You got proved wrong on that, didn't you? One yes, of the few I did. Times, one of the few times. No, no, no. <laughs> one of the many times. But And then after that, The probation set in. Then Mm -hmm. they started having some off-the-field incidents. Uh, You know, a player doing this, a player doing that. And, you know, the winds dropped off by 80 and 81. uh, Fran Kersey had become sort of a a, a kicking dog for John Y. Brown, who by then was governor of Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And it eventually got him.
1: How unfortunate was it that – Yeah this was a successful time period for Kentucky football, but then there's that cloud hanging over them.
0: Yeah. And, 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 you know, I still how say,
1: that, or how did that play into the fans and even the players most important? Well,
0: you know, you had, you had that big drought between Bear Bryant and up until Kersey got here. And I'll say this right now, if Fran, Fran Kersey had been in the other football school in the SEC, I think he would be known as a genius and he probably would have coached 25 years, mm-hmm. but he was coaching Kentucky where he couldn't recruit up here like schools in the deep South did. And that, exist today that same problem mm-hmm. but uh when when all that came about you know singletary was getting embarrassed by the governor who the governor was playing his political role and then that was there in that same era where he was starting to put pressure on kentucky being the governor to play in basketball because that all came about you know Ten years later, uh, or came about the next year, and then the football series came ten years after that. So, Doctor Singletary brings in Jerry Claiborne. Yes, and and that was sort of like going from one extreme to the other. Like we're going from a guy that, whatever it takes to win, you win, to a guy that's going to make sure that you're on time at Sunday school every Sunday. And Jerry had a great record at Virginia Tech and at Maryland, where he came from, and he had a. I think he went to the bowls about 80% of the time. But what people forgot, he was winning games in a league that did not include Tennessee, Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, LSU, Florida. He was winning in the ACC in Maryland. Almost like recruiting. I'm not recruiting against Alabama, Tennessee, That is Florida. correct. That is correct. So he came over and he was very – very. his first year he went 0-10-1. And that 0-10-1 season, he cleaned out the locker room pretty good. I mean, there were probably two or three games that he could have won that year by keeping a couple of players, but he wasn't going to let that cancer grow. So he, he ran off a lot of players. Now, his second year, you know, he had a big turnaround, and he was in bowls in 83 and 84. Same bowl, Hall of Fame in Birmingham. I think the first year they lost to West Virginia. The second year they beat Wisconsin. Had a great receiver named Altoon. I always remember name (laughs) Altoon. Yeah, and uh, but then it was a struggle. uh, Five and six, six and five down there, and in Claiborne's last year here, Kentucky and the SEC went from six league games to seven. And I'll never forget that last year he was here. He was telling me one day, uh, lost a, a. tough game to Georgia, lost a tough game to Tennessee. And he said, you know, he says, that's all I could do. He said, I couldn't get any better than that, you know, with everything was there. And so he retired. Uh, And, of course, when he retired, that's when uh, CM Newton had just arrived a few months earlier as AD. Actually, CM Newton had just arrived here a little bit earlier. He came to Kentucky in April after Eddie Sutton's last game at Kentucky, Kentucky had actually hired CM in January before the season was even over with his AD, and then he was to come to Kentucky after the tournament ended, which would have been in April, and ironically, in Eddie Sutton's last game as coach at Kentucky, uh, they were playing Vanderbilt and CM Newton in the SEC tournament in Knoxville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. so that was his last game at Kentucky. Yeah. Because I think, I think Vanderbilt lost right after that mm-hmm. to where he could come on to Kentucky. And, of course, then he proceeded to hire Rick Pitino. And unbeknownst to him, it was just going to be seven, eight, nine months later to Jerry Claiborne said, you know, it's time for me to move on. And he did.
1: And in January of 1990, CM Newton hired Bill Curry.
0: That is correct. And 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 the thing with that, uh, which was so big at the time, and people now likes to poopo it, saying, oh, that was a terrible hire and everything. The guy was playing arguably for the national championship 24 hours before he announced he was coming to Kentucky. And his first official day in Kentucky, he was honored as a National College Football Coach of the Year with the Bobby Dodd Award at the Hyatt Regency in Lexington. Uh, he had left Georgia Tech. Uh, three years earlier and went to Alabama. And two years after he left Tech, Tech won a national championship. So he recruited well at Georgia Tech. Two years after he left Alabama, Alabama won a national championship. But the difference in all that is you're recruiting at Tech against ACC opponents. Mm-hmm. You're recruiting at Alabama against Alabama opponents, and you're recruiting at Kentucky against Kentucky opponents. Uh, the, the, the Curry Aaron just never got off the runway. And – by '92, people were already turning their tickets in.
1: Why did Bill Curry make the jump from Alabama? To well,
0: Newcomer? I think because Sim Newton was a great salesman. You got to remember now, Sim Newton had coached many years at Alabama before he went to the league office, then up to Vanderbilt. And Sim was one. Uh, Bill Curry was easy for that. Bill Curry could dream with the best of the dreamers, you know. And Bill and Sim sold him. Hey. You want a real challenge? You really want to do something that nobody can do? Come to Kentucky. You win at Kentucky, it would be far greater, a star in your crown, if you want to tally like Kentucky instead of Alabama. And he sort of bought into it, or at least that's my feeling on it. And I'll be honest with you, when, when they hired him and it didn't work out, I mean, it it, it wasn't that. They played well. They played pretty good. They just didn't reach the top. Never got off the runway. There's got to be more to the problem than just the coach. And, of course, you know, in 92, they were losing season ticket holders, and that's when CM made the decision to go into the annual series with Louisville. And and I was at a luncheon with CM. He had invited me and – Another, there were two of us that weren't from the staff that were there that day. Then he had about twelve staffers there, and he told us what all was going to happen. And he said, "I think it's going to be good for us." He said, "We need this series." He said, "The good news is every game will be played at Commonwealth Stadium." And I said, "What do you mean? You mean Louisville's going to agree to play there every year?" And he said, "Well, pretty much so." And said, "Well, what's pretty much so? Well, they've agreed as long." as they don't have a, a, a stadium that seats 45,000, they'll play all the games here. And they're never going to be able to build a stadium. <laughs> now, what I think CM didn't realize at the time, mm-hmm. all the collateral you need to borrow the money to build a stadium, Lord, just say, Kentucky's come here every other year. Yeah. And five years later, it happened. Mm-hmm. But that's that's how the, it came about. My theory on a lot of that had to do with the fact that they were, Kentucky was needing to sell season tickets. And they knew putting Louisville on the schedule that that was going to sell out season tickets for two, three, four years. And it pretty much did. But ironically, this was done in the spring of 92, but the game didn't start until 94. That was the first opening on the schedule. I remember sitting in the upper
1: deck during the Bill Curry years with my grandparents, and they did not miss a football game. And I got wrapped into it somehow and there were some cold, brutal nights <laughs> sitting up there, and there's just pockets of people here, pockets of people here. Well, the,
0: the ironic thing with all of that is that in 1993, before the game had even got here, Kentucky Cup gets up and goes to a bowl game in the Peach Bowl. Yeah, Peach Bowl. Uh, yeah. We won't talk about how that game ended. But anyway, as it turned out, they didn't need that season series to get back in the limelight because that bowl brought it back in. Mm-hmm. but you know, Kentucky won their first game. And then all of a sudden local started winning pretty early then. And then by 96, Bill Curry's last year, you had a, the phenom Tim couch come down and they were trying to run a wishbone veer attack with a pro style quarterback, mm-hmm. the disaster in Florida. And I, I think the scoreboard broke somewhere in the <laughs> second or third quarter of that game. And then it was time. They had to make a change. Mm-hmm. Um, CM, to his credit, made the change in the middle of the season. He made sure at the time he did it, there was no way that they could rally and have a winning record. I think it was after their sixth loss. And then uh, right after that, Kentucky turned around and railed off three straight victories. They could have finished five and six, but they didn't. And in came your guy, Hal Mummy. My guy. <laughs> I
1: liked Hal Mummy. He did
0: a lot of good here. Why he was here
1: with this well, high this high potent offense.
0: You know, I always thought though that he cheated the defense with that. I mean mm-hmm. Mike Majors, poor old fella. You know, I I think he was paid pretty well so you, he can take that home with him. But I mean, you know mummies mummies do I think at times were If we're going to sign 25 recruits, 20 of them is going to be offensive players. Mm -hmm. And then once they don't make it, we'll send them over to defense. Mm -hmm. You can't go for it on fourth and nine from your own 32 and not make it and expect the defense to hold 32 Mm -hmm. yards. Uh, I loved his offense, but, I mean, if you were any kind of a knowledgeable football person, you knew you had to play on both sides of the ball. Now, offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators go at it all the time. That's why you got a head coach and sort of balance things out.
1: And of course, the best thing about the Hal Money era was beating Alabama.
0: Yeah, and you know, you know the strange thing, I mean there, there's there's, a, there's really been three electrifying games at Commonwealth Stadium that stand out to me. There's been many, but three. That was probably number two. Number one, would be the LSU game when they were number one. Absolutely. And uh, the third one would probably be the win over Lowell when Stevie Johnson got loose. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing with all three of them, if memory serves me correctly, they were all night games. Yeah, they were. And stadium at Commonwealth a little different place at night than it is during the day. You know. I was
1: at Georgetown, and there was a kid there. Uh, in our dorm, and he was a huge Alabama fan. He was from Alabama, and he had these two tickets, UK-Alabama, and nobody wanted to go. And at the last minute, he came up to me and says, I've got these two tickets. I'm a freshman here at Georgetown. I don't have a car. If you can drive me, you can have this other ticket. That was the best decision I made in college was to go and drive him to Commonwealth Stadium to go see Kentucky beat Alabama that year. And even though he was a huge Alabama fan, he was cheering for Kentucky at the end of the night.
0: Well, it, unless you were a real true Alabama fan, I mean the, the, the atmosphere of that night was electrifying and it built all the way up because, you know, Kentucky wasn't leading at the beginning, mm-hmm. you know. And then when you got into overtime, once they were able to get in overtime, there was no doubt in my mind that Kentucky was going to win that game. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, the, when the fans hit the field that night, now little did we know him. That was a bad Alabama team. Yeah. They finished three and eight. Mm-hmm. They'd actually had a loss a week or two earlier. They were ranked that night when they played Kentucky, but it's like twenty third or something like that. And then it just sort of fell apart to receive. But you no matter you're not going to convince any person who went to that game that night that that wasn't one of the greatest wins and they have conveniently, like I tried to, forgotten the fact that Alabama wasn't very good. At that the year. end of the day.
1: It's still Alabama. Yeah. It's like Joker beating Tennessee. Yes. It's still Tennessee, yeah. Mummy left two thousand.
0: Yeah, uh, the 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 end thing there is that 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 was a, a real mess. A lot of that had to do with the fact that that staff put together sort of came from a lower level coming up. I don't know if they understood that there's a Bible you got to live with, with initials on it. NCAA, uh, some things that went on there in recruiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's sort of like a lot of other things in life. Other people's done it. So I can do it too. If you get caught, you can't do it. Right. And so when that happened, uh, they had to turn another page. And right at that time, you were changing college presidents too. Uh, Lee Todd was coming in. Uh, Larry Ivy got caught up and he lost his job in that. And so it was, uh, and that was from Dr. Wethington to Lee Lee Todd
1: Todd. during that time period. In comes Guy Morris.
0: Yeah, and and what happened with Guy Morris, I I don't know we'll ever hear the entire story on that because there was some friction from within the staff. And there are people who would tell you that Guy Morris was going to be pushed out the last year that Mummy was here, had Mummy stayed on. But when Mummy suddenly left in the midst of all that, Uh, somebody had to be made the interim coach Mm because it happened, I want to say, in January or February after all the hiring had been done. Might have even been March. So Guy Morris was put in as interim coach, you know, and then he got the full title a little bit later. Um, He was here in 01, and, and the season wasn't very good, but in 02 was a culmination of a very veteran team where you had a lot of juniors and seniors. You still had Jerry Lorenzo in. I think he was a junior that year. And you had a, a lot of great players, and they ended up being 7-5. and five And by all rights, if it hadn't been for the LSU debacle, they'd been 8-4 that year.
1: A whole water cooler incident. Yes. Talking about Guy Morris's career, do you when, when you're talking to UK fans, do you find – because I, a few of my friends, they're still bitter about Guy Morris – being away from Kentucky. Do you you find that in everyday conversation?
0: No, no, I really don't. uh, Bo, uh, I think what happened there is uh, Mitch had just come aboard and uh, I don't know if he uh, wanted a new coach or not, but he inherited him. And of course, when he inherited him, he was inheriting part of the staff that got him put on probation. Mm -hmm. Not that Morris necessarily himself did anything, but he was part of that staff. And, uh, he got off to a pretty good start there in O two and he gave him a raise. Um, the, the figure that I heard tossed her out, I'm not sure it's true or not, but he was making 400 as an assistant and they bumped him up to 800 and then, um, Baylor come calling. And as rumor has it, he wanted more because Baylor offered more and for whatever reason, uh, he decided to say, well, here's the contract I gave you in midseason. This is it. That's all we're going to do. And Guy Mo was looking at Baylor, a five-year deal, and it reportedly was like $1.2 million. It was a no-brainer for for, um, for Gamo because five years at $1.2 is more than what four at yeah. 800000 yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, I, did, I do think that at the same time, one of the decisions may have went into Guy Mo's thinking is, that 02 team is going to be the last good team for four or five years. And if he'd stayed here in 03 and struggled in 03 and 04, like Rich Brooks did with that new, new faces and everything he'd been right back out again. And he wouldn't have been able to go to Baylor for $1.2 million if he just got fired at Kentucky. So I, th- I think he probably made the wise decision. Now, had he stayed here and been able to cross that bridge and win that second year mm-hmm. and get a new contract, then it might not have been. But, you know, you got to make those decisions on the spur of the moment. If I'd been more, so I'd probably done the same thing.
1: And I think the criticism comes from Kentucky not trying to counter to keep him here.
0: Yeah, and, and, and that probably was the smart thing for Mitch to do, cause Mitch had worked with him for close to a year, and he saw what was there. And then, my my guess is, you know, Mitch heard stories from within staffers what all went on those last two or three years under Mummy. And uh, that the thing is, it would have been interesting. Let's just say Kentucky had finished that 0-2 season and says seven and five. Let's say it had been five and seven or six and six. Probably wouldn't keep him anyway.
1: My greatest memory of Guy Morris, and, and this tells me the kind of person he was. My first year at the Old Host Broadcast Center was Mummy's last year. Here comes Guy Morris. Guy Morris would always show up early for his call-in show, and he would sit down and talk to me for forty-five minutes. You know, most coaches they come in five minutes beforehand, turn on the mics. No, mm-hmm. he comes in forty-five minutes early, mm-hmm. sits there and looks at me and says, "Bo, I'm going to go get a cup of coffee." Where's the coffee machine? Do you want anything? And I'm sitting here thinking, did I just have a coach say, "Hey, we're going to go get me some coffee"? That's kind of cool in a way. He kind of had a down home feel. Guy, to him.
0: guy was very personal. Yeah, you know, he, he still was. He, he's back here living here in Central Kentucky mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. He was very very personal, and uh, you know, it was uh, it was an opportunity for him to go to to Baylor, and I, I kind of feel like his heart was still here, but. You know, it was just one of those things that you gotta do what you gotta do. He came in one day and he said, show me how all this works.
1: He goes, I've got an <laughs> hour to kill. How does all this work? So I showed him everything. I showed him all the buttons and how we do this and that, and up broadcast to the satellite and everything. He looked at me <laughs> after about 20 minutes and he says, I couldn't do all this. I said, well, that's all right. I can't coach football.